Welcome to The Mind Renewed. They're so worried that they've got to take over down here the direction of where it's going and get a one world system together, get rid of nationalities, and get one government, one religion, so we won't have war. That's the effort of man to bring about his own salvation. Hello everyone, Julian Charles here again of the mindrenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And welcome to podcast number 16, Philosophical Bric-a-Brac with John Jones and Julian Charles. Now here I need a word of explanation because I suspect that many of you were hoping that this week's podcast would be the advertised interview with Dr. Martin Erdman on the subject of his book Building the Kingdom of God on Earth. Now that interview is still scheduled to take place, but unfortunately it's had to be postponed by a week. But it should be happening, that is, all other things remaining equal, it should be happening next week, so my apologies for that. But in the meantime, let me introduce this week's offering, which is something of a curiosity. It is, in fact, excerpts from a very interesting conversation I had with John Jones, otherwise known as J.J. Jones, who you will recall I interviewed just before Christmas for the podcast number six. And after that interview, we went on talking for well over another hour, and we both agreed that what we'd been talking about in that post-interview conversation was probably... At least from a philosophical point of view anyway, it was probably just as interesting as the interview itself. So we agreed that at some point I would present the conversation as a podcast in its own right. So here it is. We discuss, as I say in the notes, everything under the sun. God, music, intuitionist epistemology, conspiracy theories, anarchism, libertarianism, Ron Paul, and even the power of fairy tales. And what I particularly liked about our conversation is that Although we do disagree theologically on a number of issues, we nevertheless found that we were able to have a really open and friendly conversation, which we both enjoyed a great deal. And even though our ideas are admittedly sometimes half-baked and not especially well presented, I really don't think that matters, because what this conversation, I think, offers is essentially food for thought. As I say, it is philosophical bric-a-brac. I suppose one question that I had in mind was, I mean, when you mentioned the Christian Science Church that you sing at, at that point, I just wondered what kind of flavor of spirituality you were talking about at that point, because my understanding of Christian Science is it's quite different from Orthodox Christianity, although, although the character of Jesus, of course, is still there in that faith. The focus of Christian Science is simply the spirit versus the material. Yeah. And just being very clear that reality, so to speak, is spiritual and not material. And I like that focus. Yeah. What concerns me about that is that it goes so far as to say that the, you know, the material realm actually isn't real. And that means that there's almost a denial then of the reality of pain and suffering. You know, if you can almost like a mind science kind of thing, if you can think hard enough, you know, those things can go away. Right. Yeah, I, it's it's everyone's concern, but I, I for me, I guess just on a on an intellectual level, I like pushing it that far. I know I think that we should be going that far, asking those questions. Yeah, but in you know the defense of denial of pain and suffering, I think that that's a misinterpretation. It's easy to misinterpret it from the outside, especially because of the whole business of you know not wanting to go to doctors and things like that. 
but if you you know if you spend any time with it you realize it's nowhere near that bizarre as it seems to be from the outside and you know there there is a denial of pain and suffering but not to the extent of not wanting to help anybody i think for me the beauty of it is the power of god and i wrote a song called digital evolution it was one of my first metaphysical songs and for me one of the big breakthroughs about understanding the reality of god was understanding that everything isn't a one and a zero there's only a one for me i believe that we've been duped into thinking that there's this balance thing that there's always a negative for every positive there's a negative and for me personally to realize that that's not true that there's only one there is no zero that was just an enlightenment for me Are you saying that God is all that is and denying the existence of the phenomenal world? That if the truth be known, there is no other reality than God. Right, right. I I have great difficulty with that, I have to say. Sure. Certainly all the physical senses and a lot of our experience would seem to confront that and deny that. But I personally like just the idea, but for me it is real. And, and of course, I, you know, I have troubles and suffer and, and, you know, I have certain physical things that I have to deal with from time to time. And, but I, I like the idea of saying that has no power. And I like the idea of looking at the devil and saying, you know what, you have no power. Even though I can see you jumping up and down with your pitchfork and, you know, you, you seem to be influencing these things. But my experience is the less power we grant that evil, the less power it really has. And I don't think that's wishful thinking. I think it's understanding the reality of God. Yeah, I can go along to some extent with that, but uh, it cannot be denied that evil does exist no matter how much you will it not to be there. You know, you can play these games with the mind to a certain extent, but there's only so far that you can go. And after that, the evil still persists. How come that evil still persists if all that is is God? Right. It's simply because of our misinterpretation. And it goes back for so long we've been deluded for so so long i mean millennia and it's also very semantic because when you say evil exists i will say it's true that we perceive evil but i would prefer not to give it any power okay so a concrete example here let's suppose i'm involved in a car accident tomorrow my leg is severed i mean is my leg actually still severed if i use my mind to as it were, not give that any credence, not give that any reality in, in, in my mind. Whatever I do, is it not true that my leg still remains severed? Oh, well, those are always the most extreme examples that aren't really applicable. My, the way I look at something like that is our bodies are not designed by God to regenerate limbs. So the fact that we don't regenerate a limb doesn't disprove spiritual reality, which does heal. There are lots of examples of people having various diseases that are healed by the acknowledgement of God. You know, but we don't heal severed limbs. That just That's not the way we're designed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, I agree with that. Yeah, and the only reason why I brought up that example was precisely because it was extreme, is, is in order to, to force you to the point of having to say, well, in fact, there is something which is not pleasant and really does not doesn't fit with the character of God. That persists, and there's nothing that we can do about that, you know. I think we can. I think we can do a lot about it. I think we can always be in the right mind. And I think being in the right mind 
is always acknowledging the absolute authority of God. And I do believe that recognizing the absolute authority of God creates a much more harmonious reality. And I love the title of your show. I mean, The Mind Renewed. How are we renewing it? Well, we're refreshing it. We're realizing what's true, what's real, and staying in that right, renewed mind. And I think that you know, every time that there's evidence, supposed evidence to the contrary, what we always have to do as Christians is to first acknowledge what's true, which doesn't mean I'm not going to help the person starving on the street. But I'm the first thing that I'm going to do is see them for who they really are, which is a child of God who is lacking nothing. But that doesn't stop me from giving him some food. Although at that point, he does actually lack the food. Well, not, not on a <laughs> spiritual level, he doesn't. On a, on, a, on a physical level, he does. And then you get just give him the food. Because <laughs> that's what you have to do to solve his physical problem. But the metaphysical reality is that he lacks nothing. And part of his problem may have to do with his inability to acknowledge that himself. For the same reason that a lot of people are saved by Christ, by going to the church, how are they saved? Well, their life turns around because they acknowledge the reality of God. Well, that always has physical consequences, such as being able to hold down a job or you know, these kinds of things, and their life turns around. But it, they, it turns around because of a recognition of metaphysical reality, not just because they worked more hours at McDonald's. So you're not actually a Christian scientist, though. You're not a member of that church. I am a member of that church, yeah. But I also sing, I, I'm also an, a, a baptized Orthodox Christian. And I am um, also someone who is v committed to the Grail message, which is uh, written in, 19, in the late 1930s by a German man. And it's a completely different take on Christianity and explaining various levels of metaphysical reality. And it's, uh, you'll, you'll be very fascinated by it if you read any part of it. So even though I say I'm a member of the Christian Science Church, that's only technically true. I don't like to call myself a Christian scientist because it's really not totally true. I, I follow other thought processes, and I'm open to changing. I'm open to unfolding. I mean, to me, it's just so simple. It's God exists, and there's metaphysical reality that we don't always see with our senses, and we're all spiritually connected and life is eternal. And Jesus Christ proved it. Yeah, that's interesting. Who, who is Jesus Christ then in your, in your thinking? The divine son of God who came from the divine realm to inform human beings about metaphysical reality. Okay, that just about answers that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's basically how I, that's what, how I see him. I mean, I'm a person who's really as a truth seeker, striving for simplicity. And I think there's so much to be learned from simplicity. And the more complicated things are, the less truth there is going to be able to be found in them. Because nothing, in my opinion, that's true is particularly complicated. You know, and Christ's message is so simple. And people have managed to complicate it and, you know, make all this philosophy out of it and love thy neighbor as thyself. It's not complicated. That's true. That isn't, no. But uh, then on the other hand, when you start thinking about, as you say, metaphysical truths, then there's room then for complication. Um, is, is it not necessary to become more philosophical when you start 
looking into those deeper issues. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that's necessary for anybody's salvation. Of course not. But isn't it necessary when you get onto those metaphysical speculations to start, you know, using your mind more and becoming more complicated? Oh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with under having a deeper understanding. It's just that it becomes, I guess, it's just trickier and trickier when we start delving deeper. There's always that danger that our particular understanding at that particular time will conflict with somebody else's understanding at a particular time in their life, and that those two understandings will generate unnecessary complications. Sure, but you can have a conversation with somebody where you have a particular understanding of your faith, and that may not be the same as somebody else's understanding. You haven't hurt anybody, but you're having a conversation with two differences of opinion. And that's going to involve, it can involve really quite complicated ideas, which is anything but simple. That's for sure. But I think always striving for the simplicity and keeping the bigger picture in mind is the best idea. I mean, if, if two people meet and disagree and decide, you know what, your, your views are so offensive to me that I really would never want to hang out with you again. But as a legislator, for example, or, or as your representative, I promise to, you know, it's, I, there's an old quote, you know, I'll, I don't, I hate what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Right? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So as long as we're in that frame of mind, then it's okay. I mean, I've offended old friends have left me because I became a Christian just in general, just accepting that Jesus Christ is real, that God is real. I've lost friends, you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. Yeah. And do you feel that your faith is, I know this is a terrible cliche, but you know, it's, it's become a cliche because there's truth in it. Do you feel that your faith life is a journey, you know, that you haven't arrived, but there's more to discover? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I've, of course, there's. I think the unfoldment will never cease because life is always blossoming, you know. So you're all. We're always growing. We're always unfolding and learning and ascending. So that's definitely a journey and a process. But I'm, I'm very happy to say that I feel like I've reached a, a level where I can look at my old ego life and chuckle and be glad that it's over. <laughs> And what about you? What's your? Um, do you have a particular slant or a particular goal with this Mind Renewed project? Yeah, it's um, you know, I've been interested in the truth movement over the last few years, and I think one of the things that's concerned me about it is there's a sort of creeping of the of the new age spirituality into the truth movement, and and some of that I I do find difficult to come to terms with. I'm a bit concerned about it. So the truth movement is the 9/11 truth movement. No, no, not just the 9-11, anything really where we're being lied to in the media. You know, a number of times I've encountered people who are challenging these various things, and then in comes this, I mean, sometimes it can even manifest itself in a kind of anti-Christian attitude. And so what I wanted to do was to be a kind of Christian voice within the, the truth movement, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Well, asking everybody, of course, to embrace the idea of having a mind renewed. But of course, as you picked up, that is a specifically Christian idea from uh, St. Paul. So there's that two-edged sword about it. You know, everybody, let's have a mind renewed, but also to the Christian as well. I and mean, another thing is that I find a lot of Christians are resistant to the idea that our governments and the media are in fact lying to us. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so just for example, you brought up 9-11. Uh, that's just where I've I've started because of the particular interviews that have come my way. But, you know, a year ago, 
when the it was the 10th anniversary, wasn't it? Went to church that day because it was on the Sunday. And uh, nobody said anything about what happened 10 years before. It was just a few prayers from the front and nothing else was said. And it really struck me, you know, is there nobody here? Nobody here is questioning any of this. They're just, just swallowing what the media has said. You know, and I do have that feeling that I can't discuss my own concerns about it with anybody at the church because I feel that somebody's going to say to me, oh, you're one of those crazy conspiracy nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. So part of this was feeling, look, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in the truth. So come on, you've got to open up your minds and be involved in this search as well, because there are genuine questions out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't really follow all that stuff. It really overwhelms me. But I'm totally there with everybody who's putting in these this effort to expose things. Mm-hmm. Some issues are for me more obvious than others. I think, unfortunately, there are so many weird conspiracies sure then all of a sudden they are all worthless for you know you know what i mean yeah absolutely i do yes i know that's a it's a very difficult line isn't it to deal with i, I am very aware of that i mean some of it i i even have come to the opinion that some of it is deliberate misinformation about certain issues i mean if there are you know massive corporate interests you know it's it's in their interest to put out a lot of rubbish you know to, to put people sure off yeah and and yeah of course and and even to inject new and random conspiracy theories uh, sure. that people seem to, a lot of people seem to just immediately jump on. I mean, if I'm embarrassed by some of my friends who will post things on Facebook when they can't possibly have researched the reality of it. Yes. And, you know, start spreading these rumors of different things just because they think it must be true because other things are true. Well, this is one of the things I do not want to do with a mind renewed. I don't want to just you know, to jump on some bandwagon at all. I want to ask specific questions, you know, is there anything worth researching here? And not even to say, well, I know what the answers are, but just to say, look, there is a definite issue here. Here's some of the, the evidence. I'm putting it before you. You, know, you make up your mind. You know, but let's not, not, not shut off our minds to this. We are to search for the truth. Right. Yeah. And, and I've also come to the conclusion that the way evil operates... Um, and it's a very non-Christian science thing to say, you know, <laughs> to like to give any credence whatsoever. But you know, the way evil is operating in the world um, is so 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 sophisticated. And you know, a lot of the conspiracy theories, uh, there's conspiracies, but they're not on the human level. I, I, in my opinion. Oh sure, I'm I'm definitely believe that there's a spiritual component to this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so it's so it's hard to find the the hard evidence because it doesn't exist on a physical level. You know, people are being manipulated, their thoughts are being manipulated, or they're, they've simply allowed themselves to be open to doing evil things. Mm. Yeah, well, I, this is one of the reasons why I think that Christians have a greater view of this, because there are many people who are, think to themselves, well, there must be some sort of overarching single conspiracy which explains all the evil that's going on, whereas we don't have to fall for that in, in a sense because we can move to the spiritual realm and we can say, well, yeah, that there is, in a spiritual sense, there's opposition to God, and that's manifesting itself in all sorts of ways in the phenomenal world. But that relieves us of the necessity to go to a material conspiracy that is involving the whole world. There are conspiracies, and they're unified on this higher spiritual realm of opposition to God, if you see what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Though that's a difficult message to get over. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even like this Grail message thing, and, and I, it's nice to be able to be open with you about it. Um, I have a clear sense that you're a very rational person. You know, something like the Grail message, when, once you read a little bit of it, you'll know why most people would just say, oh, you're absolutely out of your mind <laughs> to believe any of this. <laughs> but um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's something that I would at least love to share with more people. But yet, even you know, the most open-minded people that I know are somehow overly confronted by it. And so here you are with this information that you personally find very important, and you want to share it, you know, whatever it may be. And you know, the reluctance of people to even consider it. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with people not going along with it, but just but not even to consider it. Yeah, well, this is exactly what we were saying about 9-11, for example, isn't it? Right. Just to say, oh, well, I'm not even going to bother to look at the evidence because I know already that it cannot be true. Right, right. <laughs> you know, well, where's that coming from? You know, who's told you that cannot be true? Certainly not not a study of history. That would not tell you that it couldn't possibly be true. It's, it's, it is extraordinary how closed-minded some people seem to be about all sorts of things. It's so true, and I, I like. I, I guess this is the first time I've heard of the truth movement in that sort of broader way. Now, I only use the phrase "truth movement" because it's just a useful way to describe the, you know, the kind of thing that uh, I, I'm aiming at. Really, I don't have any card-carrying membership of a truth movement, and there are some aspects to the truth movement which, as I say, worry me. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that the word "truther" has been, you know, taken over. It's like tr- we we should be all be able to own the word "truth." One of the most fun things about coming to Nashville was just discovering this incredible range of faith positions. Because I, like I say, I really discovered the reality of Christ and God in in Berlin and the Orthodox Church in in somebody else's language. And I was so curious to know more about my home country and all this so-called religion that was over there. And I, I was just blown away here at how many different ways people approach it. That's not what comes to mind when I think of Nashville. I mean, it's my complete ignorance. I just think of country music, and <laughs> that's it. Yeah, well, it's that's the most famous aspect of Nashville, but it really, it's Nashville is also considered the buckle of the Bible Belt. Aha. Uh-huh. For example, the Methodist Church. I lived on basically the grounds of what you could call the Vatican of the Methodist Church in America, um, which is uh, in Nashville, and it's an old college, and they have all their main buildings there, and. Uh, my wife and I lived on those grounds for the most of the time. We just recently moved. So I was right in the middle of a Methodist enclave for the whole country. And, and there's, you know, there's tons of, there's a few, there's several synagogues and there's all these mega churches here and every conceivable direction of Christianity. And there's, you know, there's Buddhist, there's an Islamic center, several Islamic centers. The, the joke is, uh, you know, around here, people will freely ask you, you know, and just assume that you go to church. Like, oh, so what church do you go to? In other places in the country, nobody would ever ask you that. No, it doesn't happen over here, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, what's it like to be a Christian in Britain? Uh, it's not comfortable, I have to say. I think at best you're seen as being a very sort of traditional sort. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who doesn't really challenge anything, doesn't challenge their own thoughts, just goes along with the way things used to be. And uh, there's a there's a kind of feeling that, uh, you know, you're, you're behind the times now. That's at the best. But I mean, the worst thing can be the, the feeling that uh, you get from people that somehow your your IQ is lower, you know. <laughs> Right. It right. is really quite a secular place over here now. 
It's a tough call on Germany as well. And and part of my story, which is so fascinating, is is that I married an East German woman. Mm. And, uh, you know, in East Germany, they were absolutely taught to be suspicious of any kind of religion. Yeah, She's a truth seeker herself, but she's somebody who would rather go to the forest and go on a long walk than go into a church and listen to some man tell her what to think. Right. I, I can understand that. Yeah. So we've had an interesting journey, spiritual journey. She's like, oh, what's your, you know, what's your next religion going to be? <laughs> <laughs> I say this, I'm recording all of this, you know. I'm going to have to make it into two interviews, I should think. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think we... It's it's a nice balance. There seems to be a nice balance, um, and there's of course it's it's always more interesting to hear people talk about some things that are slightly controversial, whether it's religion or politics or whatever, and to have a few uh, slightly varying positions was so much more interesting, of course, than listening to some ridiculous debate between two extremists, which is what you usually get on the radio. You know, I, I've uh, I went through a period of listening to a lot of conservative talk radio. And um, what one of the one of the things that made me so disappointed, almost in the same way as being disappointed that people don't even believe in the existence of God, you know, it's like, oh, no way, really? You don't even believe he exists? You know, this this disappointment in in the so-called conservative movement, which completely ignored Ron Paul, you know, these the the Republican Party just didn't want to hear anything from him. And I just thought, I can't believe that, you know, because he, to me, seemed to be the quintessential, the perfect example of an upstanding conservative, you know, standing for all the principles that they supposedly represent. I guess a lot of them fell for the propaganda, didn't they? Yeah. He was, um, I don't know what names he was called, but he was painted as an extremist, wasn't he? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think just the fact that he's clearly and unabashedly against any kind of interventionism is unfortunately what wrote him off because most Republicans are I love the idea of going into other countries and trying to save them and give them democracy. And unfortunately our country just seems to go along with it. Yeah, but I guess that's what happens when your values are material and you want world domination and power and, and to own everything. So it makes perfect sense. Oh, I think that's one thing that I, that I wanted to say that somehow I didn't squeeze in was this whole like, yeah. the comedy, the aspect of the comedy. And I mentioned absurdity and irony, and it, it dawned on me not long ago that I was drawn to absurdity because ego life, human life, is so absurd. And I think drawing attention to its absurdity is, for me, not a depressing thing or a negative thing or something that would lead one into hopelessness, but rather, once you can crack the spiritual nut and realize that there is a totally logical and not absurd reality in God, then it all makes sense. Then the absurdity has a function for me as an artist, because it draws your attention to the absurdity of this crazy life that we've created, which really has nothing to do with reality. That's very interesting, because a lot of absurd art is a complete opposite of that, isn't it? It is drawing to existentially to the negative in life, saying that life is just absurd, and that is all there is to it. Well, like I say, I think it's a matter of perspective, because if you see, for example, like, you know, Waiting for Godot, right? Like the, the ultimate absurdism. Mm. You could say, well, that's hopeless because Godot never comes and life is just a hopeless waiting for something that's not really there. What I would say is, yes, 
And when you realize that God is real, you understand that that play is about the hopelessness of the material condition, which as Christians, we know that the material condition is a hopeless one. That's why we're Christians, because we understand that there's something beyond that that isn't hopeless at all, that is, that is, the, is hope, that is love. Yeah, that's interesting how you have that different function with your art of the absurd. That is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously you have to be able to, un- to accept the possibility of metaphysical reality. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the Bible tells us also so simply, you know, what is it, uh, that God will always provide what you need. You know, he, he gives the birds their air and he gives the grass to the animals. And why are you worried about having what you basically need? And this is a metaphysical thought process, a, you know, a way of approaching life where you just accept, truly accept that you will have what you need, not what you want, but what you need. And that approach, that understanding, does change your life. Sure. It very much fits with what Jesus says about don't worry. I think a lot of people don't realize that that is actually a command. It's, it's based upon the Ten Commandments, really, isn't it? It's do not worry. Do not do this, do not this. And one of the things you should not do is worry, because if you do, you don't have your life in the correct perspective, and you're going to you, you've got to look at all the things you don't have and be obsessed with that rather than looking at who you do have, who is God. That's it. And for me, those that is so simple. Mm. I mean, we don't do it's difficult. It may be difficult for some people to follow, but the concept is super simple. You know, I'm I'm one of these people who takes that to the extreme in terms of law and order. And you know, and once again, Ron Paul was also always pointing to the simplicity of the Constitution, and he often made references to the idea that we have so many laws. It's all so complicated, but it's all based. It's all based on worry, isn't it? You've got to create all these laws because you've got to regulate everything because you've got to you've got to be worried that everything's going to get out of control. So you need as many laws as you can get. That's right. Yeah, because the laws of the human laws will protect us, you know, and to be deceived by that. Obviously, they can be useful, but most most of the time they're complicated and distracting. And the whole business of changing my mindset from being a traditional sort of so-called liberal who, you know, bleeding heart liberal who wants to help everybody. You described yourself once as a tree hugger. That's right. A tree hugger. Exactly. <laughs> wants to help everybody. and and, and But then you, to have to be forced to reckon with the way that's done and to see the government is not necessary, or the, at least the federal government, as being not necessarily being the right way to help people. And I, I think most people, it just doesn't dawn on them. They just assume that because it's the most powerful entity, that it's the best place to initiate helping people. So give it as much power as possible. Right, right. And, if you, and as you were saying earlier, I mean, give, it, give the power of a, a world government, that would be even better because it would be total control then. Absolutely. Yeah, you could just, you know, you could enforce these great laws on everybody, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and all that all that comes from worry too, isn't it? We've got to be worried about the environment. We've got to be worried about, you know, keep making sure that nobody's at war with anybody else by just making sure that everybody's controlled and they can't do anything unless some bureaucracy says you can do it. <laughs> yeah, right. And and you know, and it's it's so unfortunate that, you know, libertarians are accused of not wanting to clean up the environment for example or or they don't care about the environment and even this whole climate change thing that that we don't care about the environment if you don't if you don't totally buy the whole climate change line but but for me once again simplicity clean up after yourself 
You know what I mean? Like, does it need to be more complicated than that? It's like you, you create pollution, you clean it up. You don't even have to have a debate about climate change. I mean, obviously, it, obviously, if you don't clean up after yourself, some bad things are going to happen. Well, this is one of the, the difficulties I do have with the, the more purist anarchism. Um, so I think you brought up the phrase minarchist earlier on. I, I would see, see myself more in that tradition because, you know, if you don't have any kind of governmental structure at all, how can you deal with something like, um, you know, a corporation just dumping stuff into the river? I mean, what, do you not have to have some, some kind of governmental control of that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I almost think that the anarchy is just simply a misinterpretation to make it seem like it's a completely idiotic idea, but I don't mm. know anybody who really truly believes she shouldn't have any government. But that just no, no, no. I, I wasn't um, thinking of it in, in that but sort I, of but popular I way. I was, I was thinking of I like there's a lot of people yeah. out there who think that there are groups of people who truly believe that there shouldn't have any government at all. Mm-hmm. Which no, I don't think any. I've never met anybody that believes that. You know. And yet there are people who think that those groups of people exist and their only argument is, well, what do you mean? That's the stupidest thing. Who's going to build the roads? And then, the, and then the, the conversation stops. And it just always depresses me. Because <laughs> we have to have a government. Because we have to have a social organization. It's just, you know, the, the, the argument is all about what kind of government, you know, how much government, what level of government, not whether or not we should have any government. I mean, my goodness, even a small corporation has to have a governing board. I mean, even a family has a father and a mother. Yeah, but you'd want to bring government down to the, the local level, as, as, to be as local as possible in governance. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, for example, one of the things that I, I keep thinking and I haven't researched yet is what's the minimum number of people it takes contributing a sensible amount to a sensible healthcare system that would encourage people to live healthily and be there for them when they have truly important needs. I would love to know what, what the numbers of what the economics of that are, because I'll bet that it wouldn't take more than I'm just going to guess. I'm going to, I'm just going to throw a random number. <laughs> I'm going to say like 1500 or something, 1500, 2000 people. I'll bet that they could take care of themselves quite well very sensibly and 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 have each other's backs for the for the catastrophes you know i'm glad you it was you that put your head on the block there with actually choosing a number not me <laughs> <laughs> no i, I just I'm, it's so random but it also assume my thought process also assumes that people would not go to the medical system for small things and that people would take care of themselves and that people would try to eat better and all that kind of thing um, yeah, and one thing that just occurred to me then is, again, if things are brought down to the more local level, then there is more accountability for everybody involved in that system. So people who are likely to abuse the system are going to be more embarrassed to do that because they're going to be known. Exactly. That's so true. And also, once again, so simple. But of course, these big corporations and the big government, they love that they make everything anonymous. So then there is no accountability. So that means they have the complete control because no one see what's going on. Well, as you know, 
it's always great to find someone who's receptive to this weird ways of thinking and always it's always <laughs> great to have people who are open to this idea of mixing the art and the activism and the spirituality mm. for me it's always a tightrope because for example i have a residency i'm going back to munich next week for two months at a residency where i'm developing kind of a an expansion of the ecclesiadio project and it's called es war ein klang which for me is a kind of a translation of once upon a sound and the idea is taking improvised music as a basis for new fairy tales creating literature from improvised music creating literature from that music well i mean you know literature in, in to the extent of stories you know do you mean do you actually written stories or or soundscape stories by analogy Partially, it's even more open and abstract than that because for me, the intuition is where all the truth comes from. You know, that's God speaking to us through our intuitive abilities. And the intellect is always getting in the way, right? Always trying to make sense of things. And well, I think well, I think we do part company slightly on that. I am a bit of an intuitionist, but I I don't think that the the intellect always gets in the way. That's well, no. And thank you for calling me on that because I don't believe that either. Of course, the intellect is a very useful tool, particularly for our physical, you know, well-being. I mean, I'm an intuitionist in 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 the sense that I you know I know that you cannot prove that God exists. It just seems to me so very strongly that God does exist. Unless I've got some very good reason to think otherwise, I think, well, I'm rational just to continue believing what seems to me so obvious to be true. Right, right. Well, I think we have lots of evidence as well. Oh, yeah. There is physical. Yeah, but not proof. That's the thing. You know, some people say, oh, well, you know, give me proof that God exists. And I can't do that. I can, I can marshal all this evidence. But at the end of the day, there is that faith element that has to come in. Right. But a lot of people paint that as being irrational. But it's not. You know, it's this... I think, anyway, that it is this fundamental intuition. It's rational to go with that, as long as you don't have lots of reasons to think that that is irrational, if you see what I mean. Exactly, right. I mean, each individual has plenty of evidence that following the intuition will lead you in the right direction. You know, so, but we all, it's all individual, so it's not scientific across a study group. Yeah. There are loads of things that we believe that are not scientifically provable, but we just accept them as facets of reality like i mean the fact that i'm speaking to you i believe that you are another mind i can't prove that you're another mind there's no experiment that i can do to do that but it just seems to me the most rational thing to believe that you are another person with another mind conversing with me at the moment unless i have some extremely powerful reason to think that's not true surely i'm rational to believe that and in the same way i believe in god unless i've got some really good reason to think otherwise surely i'm rational to believe that he exists Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, rationality, logic, those words are also loaded. You know, for me, it's perfectly logical that spiritual reality exists and that there's a metaphysical layers of reality that exist. And that's all perfectly logical and rational to me in my mind. Mm. For me, it's, it's an exercise as an artist to maximize the intuition. I do believe that we all would benefit if we allowed our intuition to be more active and, and trust it, you know, in the same way that we know God is real and will take care of us, you know, that's something that you have to trust and choose to trust. And when one has intuitive ideas that don't necessarily make sense to the intellect, I want as an artist to, to, to just have this exercise of, of staying in the intuitive and I would say that these stories, these fairy tales are communicating deeply intuitive truths 
there's something really deep there and and you know and and, and magical animals and magical forests and all these symbols and these truths are coming through there and we understand them intuitively because they don't make any sense logically right but children are enamored of them why because there's something deep in there that touches them even in some cases where there's gruesome situations somehow a child is reassured by this relationship to nature for example yeah it's interesting that you say they don't make any sense logically and I, I guess what you mean there is that they don't make sense in a kind of logic that we normally bring to these kinds of experiences where we expect it to conform to a certain ah well this means this and this definitely means this this definitely means this but there is a logic everything that you say does have its own logic that is is behind all these symbols sure exactly but uh, I'm just simply trying to encourage improvisation and I'm using the structure of a fairy tale, which I think everybody has a sense of, as a means of listening to improvised music and as a means of opening up the mind to the possibility of improvised music as having some meaning. Because especially trained musicians, doing what comes out of them, creating something, is, in my opinion, kind of like pure truth being poured out, or at least arguably I'm just interesting on a just a, a purely musicological level. What kind of music comes out of that? I mean, I have some experience of doing improvising free, sort of what you might call avant-garde improvisation, where literally anything goes. Now, some people listen to that and think, "Oh, well, that's just crazy," but actually, it isn't because you're picking up on all sorts of little musical cues from each other. Little figures come out, harmonies come out, and actually, it can be really quite an interesting piece of music to listen to. I mean, is it that kind of free music that you're engaged in there? Absolutely. Yeah, that would be, uh, I like what you mm. just said, that would be an excellent way to describe it. Uh, that's And that's what we've been doing with Ecclesiadio, which never started as purely improvisation, but basically became that, because that's what everybody really wanted to do. And in that context, you know, we were usually playing in churches or other obviously spiritual spaces, and we were just kind of being spiritual, you know, in a, in a vague way, but we were motivated by our belief in God. Mm. Right. So you didn't have any charts with chord sequences or anything like that to guide you nothing nothing and there were plenty of very experimental people there to do crazy stuff and and as a vocalist i'm also open to doing anything i'm not just interested in sounding beautiful you know i, I like to do clicks and clacks and weird noises and i don't mind dissonance and you know mm. and I, I really appreciate when that yeah. happens it, the music breathes because it it becomes chaotic and then all of a sudden it'll become really beautiful and it's amazing when that happens. Yeah. It really is. And that's what I want to do with this project, too, but I want it to release it from the spiritual and just go for the intuitive, which for me personally is completely spiritual. But for the audience, for the listener, I wanted to give them a bit more of a an easier context in which to listen to the music. Plus, I think if you're thinking spiritual, people are often feel limited to creating things that are nice and calm. And, you know, I don't want to be limited by that. Right. I think we're going to have to uh, close the conversation, aren't we? Because uh, I'm, I'm beginning, I am beginning, my eyes are beginning to close. <laughs> That's I ridiculous. Milked, isn't it? I think we've milked it. We've milked it. So I'll see you around the block. Yeah. Thank you very much again. It's a great conversation. So welcome. Thank you. Ciao.
Well, I very much hope you enjoyed that conversation. And let me just clarify that when I said my eyes are beginning to close, that was not because I was falling asleep out of boredom. It was because the hour was getting rather late here in the UK. Indeed, it was well past my bedtime. Next week, as I say, I should be speaking to Dr. Martin Erdman for the third interview in the series, Does Anybody Really Believe in World Government? And in the week following to Dr. Eric Karlstrom on the subjects of anthropogenic global warming and geoengineering. But for now, thank you for listening to The Mind Renewed with me, Julian Charles, and my guest, John Jones. And I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future.